don't know about you, but the person I most love avoiding tension with is myself. And Rashida Graham Washington, she's a type of coach and consultant that actually curates opportunities for people to live in tension with themselves or with others. She intentionally brings it and facilitates conversations like this in her coffee shop. Rashida grew up in the west side of Chicago, one of the most poverty-stricken, widely working class communities. And what's interesting about her story is that she decided to push the boundaries and set out to transform the neighboring community Oak Park by opening a cafe in a very nice area, has a lot of local art. And Rashida was basically like, you know what? I'm gonna bring my community to you, Oak Park. And I think that's just so cool. But with COVID-19 and everything that's going on in this world, she moves forward whether she's afraid or not afraid. And Rashida is fine letting you know exactly how she feels, what she's going through. It's what makes her very real and very powerful. So here's Rashida talking with Rosa and Madadi. Rashida, I'd like to ask you to reflect with us. How did you get to be who you are? I got to be who I am by way of a community that really believed in their agency to raise up and develop leaders of children. I got to be who I am because the people in my community really believed that if they invested time and energy and effort in my becoming, that I would become somebody who could give that back to the world. And so I take that commitment in my own life very seriously, just because I know those seeds were sown in me from a really early age. But the most important thing that makes me who I am is the commitment my community had to my flourishing for sure. Every day I get to watch people live and I get to participate in their living. And it always improves my life, my livelihood. I expand my own knowledge and my wisdom and my care for myself and other people by investing in the lives of people. And what I really want is for other people to feel that same beauty and joy and excitement and energy around doing life with people, sharing life with people, because we get way more out of the experience than we ever put into it. Can you tell us a little bit, maybe give us some examples of how people sowed seeds for you or how you're doing that now for our listeners? Some of us are fortunate to be able to give those seeds right and help other people. Some of us don't even know how to do it. And I think it's a huge opportunity, especially in our community, in a multicultural community, for us to stand back and and look at the things that we can do to continue to impact and, and prosper the communities that we live in. Yeah. So my great-grandmother lived in the house with me from the time that I was in single digits. And I didn't know that I was learning anything. I was a kid. I was getting up and living my life and probably being a pain in the butt at the same (laughs) time. But she lived her life and I got to watch her live and she was investing in me the entire time. So on Saturdays, she would make dinner for Sunday and I had to participate in that preparation. And I didn't know that I was being prepared for anything. I thought it was horrible. (laughs) I wanted to go outside with my friends and now I can cook anything. I'm very creative in the kitchen. I 
can curate any meal I want. I love doing it. And that started when I was probably six years old. So one thing I want to make clear is it didn't take a lot of money. It, she had a third grade education, so it didn't take a lot of formal education for her to sow that seed in me. And that's an example of how anybody can be a seed sower. The next seed sower I'll talk about or an example I would give is my fourth and fifth grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Bradfield. And she was so classy and so dope and so smart. And I didn't ask her to do anything. In fact, most days I would have preferred that she didn't. (laughs) She didn't care what I thought about it. She invested her whole life in my life and so much of who I am as a writer and a speaker and an educator and a facilitator of learning, I learned in fourth and fifth grade. So again, oftentimes it it didn't come from my postgraduate studies. I certainly went on to do those things, but it was what was invested in me when I was nine and 10 years old that still really shapes and forms who I am today. And then the last example I'll give is from last week. I'm the owner of Live Cafe and Creative Space in Oak Park. And I got a call on Friday from a regular and committed part of our Live community. And they said, you know, Rashida, we've been doing a fundraiser all month for Live Cafe because we know you're closed and we wanted to be helpful to the shop. But we knew we didn't know exactly what to do. We know that you do know exactly what to do. So can you tell us where to put these resources? And I was like, well, what are they? And and they're like, we need a bank account number. (laughs) And I was like, what, 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 what happened? You know, and it was a substantial investment in the coffee shop. And what that shows is that people can be moving around in the shadows, right? And if you have something that you believe in and you're committed to, You don't always have to be right out front telling the whole world about it, that you could just subversively be working toward good. And I spent most of Friday in disbelief um, and shock and without words, which doesn't happen. I appreciated the gift, right? But what it really did was affirm and confirm that when you believe in your community and you invest in your community, there's a mutuality and a reciprocity of relationship that blooms from that. And I just spent most of the day just being really grateful that a community model of being together towards economic development and entrepreneurship really does work. Well, fantastic. Very moving, Rashida. And in fact, that's actually one of the things that we wanted to ask you in terms of living through this strange times that we're living in. One would think that it's harder or more challenging to be community. How are you being that community now? And how are you showing up for others during this pandemic? There's some really hard things happening right now, but there's some really beautiful things happening right now. I'm noticing that I start my mornings in meditation and quiet and writing, but now directly out of that, I am text messaging five to seven people who just pop up in my consciousness every morning to say, hey, I'm just checking on you. How are you doing? I was not doing that before COVID-19, but I will continue to do that after COVID-19. This is a way for me to prepare to live forward. So I'm showing up to my community in still small, one-on-one, intimate, very personal ways. I have colleagues and friends and community members 
who have lost loved ones to COVID-19. Many of them are people of color because it's hitting particularly the Black community harder and stronger because of socioeconomic inequities. And I've been their PR person. I've been their ghostwriter. What are these sort of silent, subversive, quiet, still ways that we can be present to each other and be helpful to each other without having to be out front all the time? And then I started talking with my community about where can you find the intersection between social distancing and social solidarity? Where is the place where those two points meet and you should be showing up in that place? So what that looks like for me is I've started uh, the Women of Color Salon on Facebook. It's a group for women of color where we talk about art, culture, literature, music, and we'll do a short story read it or don't, we were not going to miss out on the opportunity to be with 35 of the dopest women in the whole world, right? right? And so we are social distancing, but there's social solidarity in those places. Yeah, I'm doing interviews like similar to this one for friends who have always wanted to start a podcast and now have the time to do it. And so these are ways that we should be still in solidarity with one another, even though we're practicing some distancing. It is not the same as being in physical proximity, but different is not always worse. And in some ways, this is better because it's forcing us to remove our agendas and our labels. We're so desperate for connectivity. We're willing to lay some things down to have it. So that's been a beautiful thing. And I tell you, I think that what you're alluding to is absolutely right all across. We're seeing how we are getting more connected, that we're thinking about others in a way that probably we hadn't thought or didn't think we had the time to think about it that way. I want to hear your take on it because I think it's very much linked to women and women of color is how you portray achievement through this time it's harder for us to show up and own our achievements. Through this time, it might show up in a different way, right? But we cannot forget that what we're doing has its value and its worth in the community, in society, in advancing both personally, but also as a collective. What are your thoughts around that right now? Oh, yes, 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 Rosa. So one thing I would say is this is a really good time for us to sit with that word achievement. And I do a lot of work in coaching and consulting around deconstruction and reconstructing ideas and values for individuals and organizations. And achievement and success are the two words that get deconstructed and reconstructed in my work all the time. Because in my first half of life, achievement was making sure I did everything other people wanted me to do and making sure pretty much that I did it the way they wanted it done. You know, and as women who were once girls, we were conditioned to show up in the world that way. Oftentimes we hurt ourselves and make ourselves sick. We're unfulfilled, but we're achieving and the world keeps telling us that we are because we're feeding their need. And that works just great for them, right? But can I redefine achievement to mean or include self-care? If today I literally took my 15 or 20 minutes to be in relationship with myself, 
I achieve that goal, especially when that goal is inward facing, right? And then if I'm achieving, what am I achieving, right? So if I've always had a dream of writing or acting, or if I've dreamed of being a scientist or doing research, but I'm doing something other than that, and I'm achieving in that other realm, but I've not achieved anything as it pertains to these goals and dreams I have, can I really classify that as achievement? And can I consider an invitation to widen my definition of achievement to include things that are really actually fulfilling for me as well. And so sometimes achievement looks like rest, especially for women of color in 2020. We got to count a bubble bath as achieving something because it is now in a lot of ways a courageous act just to have some time for yourself. And so I don't think we need to be binary and toss out all things achievement and success oriented, but I think we can broaden the scope of how we define it to include things that really give us peace, rest, fulfillment, and that that should be part of our definition as well. So Rashida, you're impacting the community. You're a role model to many. You're doing amazing things. Where do you find your strength? I come from a really long line of very strong women. And in this last couple of years, we've been talking a lot about generational trauma and how it kind of gets trapped in generations and passed down. And I believe that's true. I believe that happens. But I believe if that's true, the inverse also must happen, which means that all of the strength and the tenacity and resilience of the generations of women who have come before me also get stuck in my DNA And so I won't take all the credit for my strength. I think my strength comes from my mother who will listen to me cry and give me time to do that. Like she did four weeks ago when the governor announced that all bars and restaurants were closing. And I was like, like it was the (laughs) ugly cry. Like it was not, it was not pretty friends. And I still call my mom in those moments and I cried and she let me. And then she was like, no force, no force. But just like, okay, yep, we, you know, we've done that. And now let's think about some things we can do. And let's think about how we can be. How can we show up to this? This might be a moment, Rashida. Like, have you thought about like that, that this could be a moment? You know, what could this moment be for? And it's that sweet strength, right? That tender strength. And I think my strength comes from having had the gift of witnessing so many other women illustrate strength in that way. I'm not talking about the cape where you go running into a fire, right? I'm not talking about being exhausted and keeping on going like that superwoman motif has got to go. But I think real strength is found in the balance between knowing how to be with someone when they're hurting and then also inviting them into a new space to envision, innovate, and ideate themselves out of whatever challenge they're having. And I've watched women of color do that my whole life. What you're doing through Color Forward is you're capturing those stories. I would get strength from listening to other women talk (laughs) about this stuff. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I love what you said in terms of resilience is ingrained in my DNA. Mirari and I talk a lot about this and the meaning of resilience. But what are your thoughts on resiliency through this time? I think there is a direct correlation 
between the level of comfort any human has in their life and the amount of resilience they have. I'm so grateful for having grown up in the kind of community I did and the humble socioeconomic status I came from because I learned stuff in that place that I can't learn in any other place in my life. And so when COVID-19 happens and your business is shut down and you're on quarantine and you're sheltered in place, but you still have to operate two businesses, I'm not drawing off my postgraduate studies right now. (laughs) That is not helping me. Knowing how to make a dollar out of 15 cents and rob Peter to pay Paul, that's what's helping me right now. And I learned those things on the west side of Chicago in the Austin community. I love it. um, On a block with a fire hydrant that probably shouldn't have been spouting water. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) And so I think it's really important to have friends from all walks of life. I think people who have never experienced challenging circumstances have probably been having a pretty hard time for the last four years. Our leadership is interesting nationally. Now we have a pandemic. We've had all kinds of natural disasters around weather and climate change. Like it was a blizzard this morning and then the sun was back out in Chicago. And so I think We need to find our friends who have stories similar to mine and really be a friend so that that mutuality and reciprocity that's born out of relationship can flourish because I might get some kind of access to power and wealth Mm -hmm. in that relationship that maybe I wouldn't have had otherwise, but you get to understand resiliency and tenacity and wherewithal and moxie, because that is my gift that I have to share. And if we don't have any people who have lived a life that fortifies them in that way, then you can't glean this from the university. We're in a time now where some of your learning is going to have to come from someplace other than the academy. And the only way to get access to that is to have relationships that live outside of the academy. I really want our community, our call of forward listeners and community to hear about how you think about the fringes, right? Mm -hmm. How you push the envelope to exactly do what you just said. And it really stuck with me when you shared why you chose to set up your cafe, what it is. Can you take us through that process and what you mean by actually going to the fringes? So the margin or the fringe is the place and the people who are least like what I have experienced by way of place and people. So for me, I grew up in Austin. It's a predominantly black community. Most of the people there look and sound like me. And socioeconomically, we we had humble starts, right? So for me to set up a coffee shop there is not to go to my margin. That's my center. Actually, I feel very comfortable in that space and I can be all, be completely immersed in a culture that's very familiar to me. But if I'm going to go to my margin, if the margin is the place and the people who are least like my life experience and my familial composition and my value system, Oak Park is that place for me. 
Oak Park, socioeconomically is far from where I am. Oak Park, ethnically, is further from where I am. And there's a lot of opportunity there for me to be intersectional because there are a lot of people there who don't live their lives similarly to me. So I think it's been kind of a misnomer to think that every time we say fringe or margin, we're talking about people of color. We're talking about people who come from uh, more meager socioeconomic situations, because if that's where you're from, that's not your margin. And I think the only way to achieve intersectionality is for us to be more honest about where our margin is and to stop making margins synonymous with some negative connotation. It's not the poor people or the black people or the brown people or the women or the people who are experiencing life with some kind of a difference. But really, it's who are the people whose life experiences are least like mine? How can I go find them and be in real and right relationship with them? Planting the coffee shop in Oak Park gave me that experience, but it also gives Oak Park that experience Mm -hmm. in a way that I think has been quite transformative for all of us. We've talked before on Color Forward about growth. And I think you're summarizing it, right? For all of us, you cannot grow if you don't go to the margins. Right. You cannot grow if you don't push yourself to get to meet other people who do not look like you, who do not sound like you, because then you'll just be surrounded by the same narrative all the time, right? Yes. And I think it's important that we recognize that there will be some significant discomfort in that process. There are times when I'm in my coffee shop and people come in and they're looking for the owner and looking for the owner and looking for the owner. I've literally said, I am the owner and had people say, no, you're not. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well, if you find her, give her these bills because (laughs) she should take care of these right away, you know, and all the responsibilities that come with this place. But it makes me frustrated. It makes me sad. It makes me tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it also is a space where I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about how to be strategic as a thinker and an entrepreneur. I've learned how to feel something and also continue to persevere beyond just what I felt about a circumstance or situation. And I've allowed room and invitation on that journey for other people to join me in that journey so that we can grow together because I think communities change when communities are willing to be uncomfortable together. And that change comes when we do that growing together. That is definitely something that it's uncomfortable, not just in the community, but in the workplace and in the schools and all around us. So I'm hoping that our listeners understand how critical it is for us to put ourselves in that place to get to know others that are not like us, because only then can we grow as a community. I love also something that you said, and this is important to me specifically and for many of our listeners. And the reason why we have this is not just to elevate the voice of multicultural women, but for women all around at all levels in life can hopefully see themselves and find hope in the stories that we're sharing. And I want our listeners to really 
get from this is that role model doesn't have to be an executive and it doesn't have to be a superstar. Your role model as simply as your mother, or you could even be a role model to somebody else right now and how critical that is. There is so much going on out there from women of color growing up in the label society has given them and and not seeing themselves out there. So what are some of the things that we can do as women of color to dream more and to challenge ourselves to do more? Because sometimes we may look around us and either choose to be the statistic the world wants us to be, or we can choose to be innovative and think different and challenge the system and become better. One of the things that we need to do is stop waiting for our fear to go away. We got to stop thinking like, oh, as soon as I'm not afraid anymore, I'm going to do X, Y. I'm afraid every day, even more now than ever. If I waited to not be afraid to be a business owner, oh, I'll wait until I'm not going to be afraid that we're going to close or it's going to fail or I'm not going to have enough, we would still not be open because those are things I still worry about today. I wrote a book called Soul Force, Seven Pivots to Courage, Community and Change. And chapter four is the hurt to hope pivot. There's a hashtag, hashtag do it afraid. Don't wait on this fear to dissipate. But really go ahead and just say, I'm afraid and and I'm registering that fear. Like I know I'm feeling it and I'm just going to do the thing anyway. Right. And so I think that's really important, especially for women of color, because we've been conditioned to be afraid of everything. So I'm not going to tell my age, but let's just say there's a 30 year old woman because 30 is a good number. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She's had 30 years of conditioning to be afraid and to be perfect and to cross all her T's and dot all her I's. And as women of color, we always hear this adage that you have to do 120%. You have to do 200%, right? And so If we've been conditioned for 30 years to think that stuff, it will take at least another 30 to uncondition it, right? So by 60, we'll never have started. But if at 30, with all that conditioning and all that fear, you just strike out anyway, then there's a chance of you doing the thing you dreamed of doing. So that's one thing that I would name. And then in terms of what we should embody as leaders, this is going to sound strange, but I want us to model failure. I want us to model vulnerability. I want us to model transparency. And I want us to model forgiving ourselves, having grace for ourselves, being tender with ourselves when those moments happen. I don't want us to overcompensate for them anymore. I don't want us to hide them anymore. I coach several women of color as a part of my coaching practice. And I also have several mentees and they will tell you that before they can sign up, I say, I am a fallible, imperfect, hormonal (laughs) human being. (laughs) (laughs) And as such, I will make mistakes. I will lose sight of some things. I'm going to tell you on purpose when it happens, I'm going to allow you to witness it when it happens to me because If I am too perfect and you look at me and you all may have had some experience with this as well, you watch women leaders whose stuff is just always together and you think, I'm never going to be able to do that. (laughs) I'm just, I'm a mess. (laughs) I know I'm a mess. 
Maybe I shouldn't try oh to leave my because I, it's no way. Right. It's, it's the <laughs> model we were handed. We were told, right. If you can't be this, you can't be a leader. I want us to shift that paradigm because that's how we're going to increase the number of leaders we have is if you can see that I'm not perfect and I still get to lead, then what that says is, oh man, well, I'm not perfect. So Maybe I can lead something too, because I see Rashida doing it and the Lord knows she is not perfect, right? (laughs) We have to bust through that old way of thinking and illustrate a new paradigm of leadership that makes enough room for imperfect humanity to exist within that realm. And, you know, I also have three daughters, 30, 20, and 10. That's a different podcast for a different day. But what I will say is that it always feels so important to me to model my humanity, to model my fallibility and my leadership, to model my uncertainty, but also to model that my name is Rashida first, it's mommy sometime after Rashida, it's CEO sometime after Rashida, right? It's coach consultant facilitator somewhere after Rashida. And as my daughters, I think throughout their lives, at some point, I'm sure they've resented that, right? Like, no, because all the mommies are mommy first. In fact, they don't even get a name. They're whatever their kid's name is, mom, right? So my youngest is Olivia. I'm Olivia's mom. I like, literally, I don't even get to keep my name, (laughs) right? And I've modeled for them, like, no, I'm pushing back on that hard, definitely for myself, but not just for myself. Again, it goes back to that modeling that I don't want them to become moms that don't have a first name if they choose to become moms, right? So the only way for us to like shift this paradigm is for us to be willing to courageously live it out when it is not majority culture to live that way. It's, you know, 2020, and that is quite revolutionary to even talk in those terms. Even now, even in now. 2020. You know, you mentioned you have three daughters, and I know that's probably a podcast for another day. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think you said something important is when you're empowered and you're feeling good and everybody else can kind of enjoy that as well. Yeah, I'm just a firm believer that everything else suffers when I don't get to be with me at all. So if being the best mom ever is what touches, moves, and inspires you, if being the best CEO ever is what touches, moves, and inspires you, you still have to put yourself before those things if you want those things to be the best they can be. Because if I deteriorated my core, my deteriorated self is who is going to show up to my children. That's who is going to show up to my company. That's who is going to show up to my clients. Right. And so I'm really not doing anybody any real service by showing up deteriorated. I also think that we tend to get mired down in martyrdom. Right. (laughs) So we're depriving ourselves only so that we can proclaim that we deprived ourselves. It's like, (laughs) well, keep the proclamation and let me just actually take care of myself. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) I will trade you the proclamation of martyrdom for a (laughs) And I love that because people, you know, society tries to sometimes make you feel guilty for that. Even sometimes your own family members, right? Just the culture. And that's the hard thing. too, Marati, is that we've all been conditioned to be this kind of way. 
And it's always the one or two, right? That has to say, no, actually, nope. I actually don't have to spend five months shopping for the holiday season. I actually don't have to do that. And the whole world shatters. Like they're all like (laughs) clenching their pearls. Like you're not doing that. And it's like, no, I'm great on that. I'm going to make crafts with my kids and we're going to bake cookies and we're going to laugh our heads off. And that is the gift, right? But if one of us does that, it gives somebody an opportunity to see it and say, wait a minute, there is another way. Please tell me because I hate this, right? (laughs) But somebody has to break out of the norm in order to give us countercultural options. Interesting you say that. When you say options, I sometimes talk in terms of distinctions. This I love it, yes. Right? It's like we have to provide some distinctions and really hold them for others because they may not have considered certain possibilities yes. of that. Yes. And I think we have a responsibility to be able to do that, especially for other women out there. What can you tell us for us to remain sane? If you like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> Be present to the question. Try and practice being less present to the answer. Because I think Mm. it's an evolution. It's a process. So this wanting for the answer to come quickly to who I'm becoming and how this is impacting me, I'm just not going to know today. I am excited for it to be revealed, but I'm also clear that it is going to be a process of revelation. It's going to be bits and pieces that come over time. It's not going to be... I'm going to wake up one morning and have it or all the many nights we're spending staying up because we can't sleep because our heads are too full. Our hearts are too full. Right. That in that 2 a.m. night is going to come to me. But I think chasing the answer is what keeps us from getting it. I think being curious with the question, oh, my goodness, who am I getting to become as a result? And really Developing the practice of getting to an earnestness about the excitement of the process of becoming, not just like, I said, oh my goodness, who am I becoming, Rashida? But (laughs) I'm still not knowing. So what do I do now? (laughs) I love it. Like really relinquishing that desire for the answer and developing a practice of having a desire for the question, Mm. developing a practice of having a desire to be curious about your own self is the answer because we'll be becoming for as long as we're here. And so what if we just let the answer reveal itself over time? And instead of being so focused on the answer, we get in real good, tight relationship with the discovery process of who we're becoming. I think that's how we relinquish the anxiety, the worry, some of the stress, not all of it. And even now, sometimes we can jump into conclusions that will lead certain actions that will not have the impact that you genuinely want to have. And at the end of the day, this is the essence of what we are trying to build with Color Forward. Here's a collection of stories of how some very powerful in their own way, women that are coming forward and telling these stories, but that is their story. This is your story, Rashida. And what we say to our community, to our listeners is, you don't have to recreate somebody else's story. You have to build your own. That's right. And that is powerful in its own right. It's powerful just as it sits.
Wow. There's so much with Rashida that it's hard to know where to start to give it justice. I'm really still processing it. (laughs) You've put the example of this little venture that we've got together to create this community to share stories, doing things afraid and really pushing forward, pushing yourself forward. And in doing so, you know that it is uncomfortable to start something new and frightening and scary because you don't know what will happen. Being able to jump into that pool, even though you still don't know how to swim, maybe, knowing that you'll figure it out and you have to do it, right? You have to jump into the pool. You have to learn how to swim. And it is okay to doing it afraid. And it is okay to actually say so and reach to others to teach you how to swim. I never thought about it that way. And, but if I look at my own past in terms of some of the choices that I've made throughout my career, really throughout, again, my life journey, a lot of it was, I wouldn't say it up until now because I didn't have that distinction for myself, but I was doing all of it afraid. Oh my God. I was, in some instance, I didn't even know whether I was going <laughs> to be able to <laughs> get a, a paycheck, but <laughs> right at the end of the day, right? It, it's okay, but you have to do it. Whatever it is, you know, that it's good. Just, just go and jump into the pool. We talk about this, right? How fear paralyzes us sometimes. Mm. And I really like when she said, be present to the question and less present to the answer. That was just so impactful because we are so busy chasing the answer a lot of the times, like, Mm. well, this is what it's going to be. And then we get so disappointed when it's not that desiring the process is scary, but it's also what's going to help us get to that answer, right? But let's not focus on the answer, which is what she said. Let's fall in love with the process of revelation. I just thought that was impactful because you will be afraid and that's okay. But being able to move forward with that and not letting the fear guide us, not letting the fear paralyze us will really help us do it afraid. And that could go into any aspect of life, personal and professional. I absolutely 100% agree with we jump really quickly in making decisions because we want to get to an outcome. Yes. And we don't necessarily go through the process of generating potential different options that may give us a completely different outcome, which is- I love that. What I think that you are saying, right? And what Rashida was challenging us to think through, that is a very different way of living altogether. Agree. And that's how she put it, right? Chasing the answer is what keeps us from becoming. And that's exactly what you just summarized. It's a different way of living, which being- is a different way of living. And living through that process of becoming, sometimes, again, I think we need to challenge ourselves on how we might need to get out of our comfort zone and go and put yourself and place yourself somewhere with somebody that might sound and look and be completely different from you. And her very purposeful way of, as an entrepreneur, 
wanting to get out of where she, as someone who grew up in a, in a certain place that she felt really comfortable with, or setting up her business in an area that for her was the fringes, right? That is such an act of courage. Absolutely. And I think sometimes it's like, what, where are we being courageous in service of personal and professional growth? What will that look like? It's a very different frame of reference as a whole when you think about that. It's, and it really made me think, it's like, I don't think I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for somebody being courageous right now, it's just going outside. Yeah, yeah. Where to somebody else, courageous is doing exactly what Rashida did, right? Putting herself in a very different situation and striving there. So there's so many layers to this. There's got to be something out there for all, even though it may look different for all of us. And go after it. Do it afraid. Whatever that is for you, try it. My mother used to say that all the time. Try it, because if you don't, you'll get the same answer over and over again. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> was Rosa Santos and Mirati Simeon interviewing Rashida Graham Washington, CEO of RGW Consulting and owner of Live Cafe. For more inspiring stories, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a guest you'd love to hear on the show, send us a DM on Instagram at colorforwardpod. I'm Elisa Monjadas, producer of Color Forward. Thanks for joining us and please leave us a review.